my daughter recently got into rock climbing in the last year and the first place that she climbed right next to it was painted a big mural and it's a, and it's a sir edmund hillary quote the um first uh westerner to conquer mount everest i think um and the quote is it's not the mountains we conquer but ourselves yeah and i love that i love that quote and it's it's definitely like i i'm definitely one of those people that has been like i can't do this and then i try i always try to think about what my what my closest friend would say or how my closest friend sees me. Um, and like, even when I went to this like leadership training years ago, um, they were like, act, act like you're, have your, have your best friend write your LinkedIn profile. Like have your best friend write that because it's like your ultimate height person, the person who sees you for who you are, right. Without all the negative self-talk and the, and the selling yourself short. Welcome. Hi, this is John McCaskill, recently retired Navy SEAL commander. I just wanted to say uh, what an honor it was to serve as a as a service member within the Navy, and uh, and what an honor it is now to be a veteran serving my fellow veterans in the nonprofit space. Thank you to all those who serve uh, or have served in in or out of uniform as a as a service member or as a family member. So thank you to all the veterans out there, and we remember and honor you. Thanks. We are very, we are very yin and yang. For two people that work really well together, I think that we have, and we have different sets of knowledge too, but we have enough in the Venn diagram that overlap and we work really well together. But yeah, we're, our, our personalities are very different and I make a lot of jokes and words You're very so. complimentary, I would say. Hudson. I have been a military spouse for 10 years. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, born and raised there. And I met my husband while we were both, he was stationed in Washington, D.C. I was working in D.C. in uh, federal relations. And uh, he's active duty army. He's been active duty army the whole time. We have moved around quite a bit. So we, uh, after being initially meeting and being stationed in D.C., he took back-to-back deployments, and then we moved to Georgia, followed by Augusta, Georgia at Fort Gordon, um, followed by uh, two tours at Fort Bragg, in addition to another deployment with 3rd Special Forces Group and USASOC. Then we returned to the DMV area in 2015, and he was stationed at Fort Belvoir. Um, he's currently stationed out of the Pentagon uh, with follow-on orders to another Belvoir assignment. And we are at, I think he's at, let's see... I think we just hit 18. Coming up on a big 20-year milestone. He was already in when y'all met. Yeah, he had just gotten in. Uh, he joined in December, went to boot camp in April, and we met the September after that. So yeah, in he had been in a little under eight. Um, yes, we met in D.C. My grandfather was um, involved in World War II, but did not talk about it. Um, he did his two-year stint, but 
never talked about it. My uncle Jack was in the Navy in World War II, and he died when I was very young. So um, I didn't have any exposure to military lifestyle or culture at all. I was going in cold completely. I didn't know ranks. I didn't know anything. So... Uh, Amy Apostle. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, so I, or the Chicago suburbs, really. Um, so like Kate, I'm also a Midwesterner. Um, still a Midwesterner at heart, even though living out in Washington, D.C. area now. Um, my story is a little different. Um, I met my husband after our first year of law school, and I went to Loyola in Chicago, and he went to Albany Law School in upstate New York. And my school has a Rome campus. And so it just kind of happened that we both ended up going on this um, Rome uh, program in Italy the summer after our first year. And that's where we met. Um, and we just really hit it off. And it was, you know, a great experience. And we ended up dating long distance for the rest of law school. And then probably during our third year, so like, you know, maybe, you know, a year and a half, two years later, as we're thinking about jobs, you know, we're chatting on the phone. And like, again, in the olden times before cell phones and all that, he's like, Hey, I really think I want to join the Navy. And I and I like Kate, too, I had no background in any of this, you know, no real family history of military service. But we were just dating at the time. And I'm like, I can't tell you how to run your life or what your plans should be. So I'm like, all right. I mean, I guess if that's what you want, you know, go for it. I'm not going to stand in your way. Anyway, he ended up joining the JAG Corps. Um, and he ended up uh, coming to Chicago to Great Lakes for his first duty station. And we continued to, you know, date during that time. Um, and then he was going to be moving to his next duty station down in Corpus Christi, Texas. So we Got engaged in April, got married in December, moved down to, to Texas. Um, you know, we were there for about three and a half years. It was definitely like jumping in with both feet, but it was a great cultural experience. You know, I launched kind of a new direction of my career. Um, and then, you know, it was a, a lot of tough decision making, but ultimately we decided that it was going to be best for both of our professional futures and our life together him to go into the reserves instead, um, which unfortunately happened to be right as like the whole financial crisis was occurring in 2008 timeframe. So we ended up moving to DC, which is where we are now. Um, he is a civilian attorney with the Department of Defense, alongside continuing to do reserve um, duty in the Navy JAG Corps. Um, and since, you know, he's been a reservist, he's, you know, traveled the whole world, he's deployed to Afghanistan, gone to Africa, gone to Haiti. So he's been a very active reservist with a lot of um, not lengthy deployments as much as active duty side, but definitely he's been gone numerous times. And so I feel like in some ways I've had a flavor of the lifestyle of more of an active duty spouse, even though... We've been in, you know, one really good benefit is that we've been stable in one geographic location. But some of those things with the kind of comings and goings has definitely been something I've you know, had to experience.
Oh, thank you. Kate, uh, I'm assuming with all the moving around that you guys did, has he been, was your husband active duty the whole time that he's been in? Yes, he's, yeah, and he's still active duty now, whole time, yeah. And see, Amy, I didn't know that. I thought that he was a reserve the whole time. No, he was active duty for a few years before, yeah. Kate, did your husband ever deploy? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, okay. We did Lost, six, right? six deployments. Yeah, yeah. Six deployments. What was that like when you found out that your husband? Um, so the first Tag, time that it, Mike. Uh, yeah, I'm it. Um, so the first time that Mike deployed, we were actually had only been dating for less than three months. And um, we actually. Um, he didn't come home and, and say it. I mean, because he was living in the barracks and he didn't call me and say, Hey, I'm deploying. Um, we were actually watching the State of the Union. Um, and the president announced that a unit from the old guard would be going. And the old guard hadn't deployed since Vietnam because they are infantry soldiers. The old guard, which is my husband's first unit, they are regular infantry soldiers in addition to the ceremonial duties. You know, this is late 2003. And so his first deployment was to, um, uh, East Africa. And so we did not hear about it the regular way. <laughs> so he went to work uh, the next day and then it was, then it was announced and it was his company that was going. Um, and so we were, we were kind of shocked. It was, you know, he was, he was new to the military as well. And um, he tried to dump me. <laughs> he was like, oh, we're good. You don't need to, you don't need to wait for me. Like you're good. And I was, very upset. <laughs> and I did not, I did not take that. Um, I did not accept that, uh, dump. And, um, uh, so we agreed to stay in contact and, um, as much as we could with an East Africa deployment in the early 2000s, he didn't have a satellite phone to come back to in his hooch every night. Um, email was very, very, there was very, very little email. Um, he would wait in line, you know, two hours to make a 15 minute phone call. And he had to split the time between me and his mom. So, you know, and like, and we never knew when it, and we never knew when it was going to be either. So it's really funny. We kind of have an old school courtship in the sense that we each have big boxes of letters to each other that we sent the whole time because mail was still a thing. Um, often he would get two and three of my letters at one time because, um, they would leave where they were the base where they were stationed, they would be out in the field for many weeks and then come back and there had been multiple mail drops since then. And so the first deployment was uh, very different than deployments are now, um, where there's email and satellite phones and some people even get to FaceTime and like, oh my gosh, like that's amazing to me that people actually like have cell phones when they're on Bagram now. And so, um, so finding that out, that was a big shock. I didn't, I had no expectations. I had no idea what it was going to be like because I just had no frame of reference. Um, obviously after we were married and, and had, and we faced, um, he did back to back deployments while I did law school. And, um, and he also did, he converted to officer. So he went to officer candidate school and then did back to back deployment. So we were apart out of, out of three years, we were apart for, I think 31 months, 30 months out of 36. Um, so like the first five years of my marriage, three and some of it was, uh, apart. And most of that was deployed, obviously, other than schools. Um, the deployments early in our marriage obviously are very different than like if you were to go tomorrow, like if it was to go, you know, it's very different. I, we have kids now, my kids are older, you know, um, I'm much more firmly established in my career. Um, so like finding out that 
we're getting ready for a deployment looks a lot different now than it did that first time. Um, and I'm definitely seasoned and very experienced. I can pack my house in a day. Like those kind of things just come with experience. There's no way to know that as a brand new military spouse. Some things you just, you can get as much information from other spouses as you can. And those are all really good things to have. But like, ex- there's no substitute for experience, I feel like, in the military spouse community. So let me ask you six months. And I've seen you six months of that time, and it's maybe not all, not six consecutive months either. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, y'all are still married. To me, that's <laughs> I know, and I, I totally I mean it to be funny, but I think it's awesome. It, you know? it, it can be a little funny, right? It I mean, is. I, yeah, I, I, I think it's funny. I think it, I think it's very funny. It, you know, it. You really, you just, uh, you just keep swimming. I guess is is mm-hmm. what you do, and and. You know, um, everybody's marriage is different. Um, and there's a lot that I think military spouses or military families can learn from regular civilian life on on things as well as having our own separate pressures. A lot of what I hear when um, military couples don't last or there's strife in the marriage or they end up in divorce or other things like that. A lot of times the problems that they're having are the same as as civilian couples. It's right. not necessarily particular to to the military and so um i wish that i wish that we sometimes see ourselves separate but sometimes see ourselves as regular people too but we are we are still married uh we will be it will be 16 years in in july and oh my gosh i feel like it's been three years sometimes and i feel like it's been 25 years at other times so i go back and forth on what it feels like <laughs> hey kate don't i didn't know i'm the ordeal on the yeah. Um, so yeah. So my husband Liam, he's only done one lengthy deployment. Like we would think about, like a big deployment. Like he's done others. We've been out, you know, a few months at a time. But um, when he went to Afghanistan in 2011, uh, we had well. First of all, in at the end of February of 2011, I went back to work full time for the first time in about three years. Um, as an attorney for the Department of Defense. And we bought a house shortly after that because I was finally back to work full time, which was great. Um, It was our first house we'd ever bought. In October, I was selected in a supervisory role. So I kind of got a promotion where I was going to be supervising a team of attorneys, paralegal and administrative staff um, on federal court litigation matters. So it was a lot of different cases. Um, And it's right about the exact same time I got this promotion. uh, My husband kind of decided like if he wanted to continue to progress in his career, he's like, I've got to go. And I think he felt like, you know, there had been Iraq and now there's Afghanistan and he'd never done that. And he's in the military and he just has this duty, you know, to the service to step up and and do this work for them. You know, it's like, if I'm going to be in the military, I need, you know, to do it. So he's like, I think I'm going to volunteer because that's my husband volunteering for these things. Um, and he's like, you know, so he's like, I, you know, I'm going to go. So I just started this like brand new demanding job. We've got this new house. I don't know what I'm doing. And honestly, at that time, you know, it was my oldest two children were only four and two. And when we moved to DC area, we lived in downtown DC, then we moved to Old Town Alexandria, and then we bought this house. So 
I really didn't have any friends or community. And his reservist group was out of um, Mississippi. So I had no connectivity to the unit um, that he was leaving with. And they're not, you know, they're not lawyers, you know, it was a, a CB unit. Uh, that he was supporting. So it's not like we're even in that community anyway. Uh, so we had like no military community support, no like friend support. I had an amazing nanny um, who was probably one of the people that got me through this time. But, you know, I remember, you know, you know, I, I never missed a beat in my job, which is what to this day, one of the things I'm really proud of um, as a parent like, I just remember how hard it was at first trying to manage, you know, my work life and then these two little kids and figure it all out. And I remember that over time, I just the capacity to do it grew. Um, and so I think, you know, I just kind of figured out and I got in a groove. And I think that's what's been really hard about the shorter term, like deployments or trips he's taken is it's like, you finally figure out how to do it all. And then he comes back and he throws it all you know, up in the air. again. Um, and it's just like, I always say it's like death by a thousand paper cuts because it's just, oh, he's gone this weekend. Now he's back. Now he's gone for two weeks. And it's like, you just can't get in a groove. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a different challenge from the reservist perspective. Um, but like later on, you know, things like he's on duty and I've got three kids and three different soccer games and three different locations at the exact same time. And how do you figure that all out? And the interesting thing to me is, you know, we've had friends here and it's been, you know, I don't think of them as military friends, but the people that have always really stepped up to help me in those circumstances and give my kid a ride or let them hang out of their house. They've been other military affiliated families, which I think is so interesting. Um, and, you know, they're just like, again, it's not people I know from the military. They're just friends through kids sports or just, you know, people that we've really developed a great relationship with. And it just, they're, they're the people that step up. So I find that really fascinating. Um, and it's, you know, having now a support network has been great. And one other thing I guess on the support network front I want to mention that Kate will appreciate is shortly after uh, Liam deployed to Afghanistan, um, since I worked at the DOD, there was a publication that came out and it mentioned this group um, called the Military Spouse JD Network. And it's an attorney group that Kate and I are both part of. Um, but it was right as it was beginning. And it, it, the thing that I think was so valuable about finding this network was learning that there were so many other people that were in the same situation I was, or like, it was so much harder what they were trying to go through. And so, you know, finding this connectivity with a group of, you know, like-minded individuals, people going through similar experiences that are living, you know, across our country and overseas um, to me, and I think to many people, that has been just a tremendous, um, you know, kind of mental and emotional and professional, you know, resource that's really been a game changer for us in the in the attorney field. So that two of you actually meet because you. It's great. Tell it. It's a story. Are you sure you want me to tell it? Okay. It's a nice story. It's kind it's of a very it's a very um it's a very meet cute, like from the movies kind of story. Um 
And um, so I had been um, through MSJDN. I had um, uh, gotten a job right as I moved back to D.C. I was in a non-lawyer position at the General Services Administration, GSA, which people are suddenly finding out about GSA here in the last few weeks. But I used to work there back in um, 2015. And I was on a term appointment. So I knew I had like two years to find another job. Right. And so I had an amazing boss, an amazing woman who hired me, Mary Redding Smith. I can't not mention her <laughs> everywhere I go. But she, um, she helps, uh, she hired me for this position. And she was like, you have two years. What can I do to help you? And I was like, just introduce me to everyone. And she was like, okay, the family needs to talk about what that transition is going to mean to all of them and support the service member. I, I would love to see in our space, even as much as like behavioral therapy specifically geared towards the transitioning service member. Because for so many service members, they are just trying to get to the finish line and they're ready to get out. And then they want to worry about things. And by then, that's honestly, that's too late. Like you can do things then, but I think in terms of getting ahead of transition issues, the time is while they're still in the service. And the service member needs time and the spouse needs time to think about what it's going to be like to be out of the military. That's a big change. Like even for us, we're, we plan on staying in this area, but that's, a, that's still a big transition, you know, not just financially, but also like my husband will probably take something a little on the lighter load. So my career is in the driver's seat. And so that I can take, you know, the demanding general counsel job or agency leadership job. And we've had, I already know that because we've had those conversations and people need time to process and figure out what their what their dreams are, what the, the work that you're finding with the podcast, that's like what I call get out of bed work. You need to find your your service member needs to have time and it can take years to process and figure out what they want to be, who they want to be, and what they want to be when they get out of the service. And the second thing that I would say, many service members do not take the time over their career to cultivate adult friendships. For the most part, I'm looking at men. I'm just going to make that generalization. A lot of men do not have that many, if any, adult friendships that will carry them through their transition. And it doesn't just have to be buddies in the service with them or men and women that they've served with over their career, but like regular friends. Because I, and, and, you know, some people will not like this analogy. I, I, I can take that. Some people won't that like this analogy, but reacclimating to the community after release from the military and reacclimating to the community after release from prison, there's there are definitely some similarities there. It's obviously two different contexts, but you need to think about how to re-engage and what your identity is post-service life. And how are you going to how are you is this the community you're going to be in? What community are you going to be in? How do you plan to quote put down roots? What does your family need? Um, all of those considerations, those are all crucial and constructive conversations that need to be happening before they get out of the service and then carrying that through the transition. They need somebody to talk to. I, I, I think that those are the two biggest things that a service member and the service member's family can do. I'm a firm believer in going to a therapist and talking it out. <laughs> and for a lot of service members, that means not, not sharing that with their spouse. A lot of times they are processing through for, for a myriad of reasons. They don't want to share those things, those feelings and those experiences with their spouse. We need to remove the stigma from that. And that's 
obviously an ongoing issue that we have across all military service, active reserve, guard, everybody, um, removing that stigma. I, I think it would be great if as part of the ACS process, at least that's the Army acronym, as part of the preparation for transition, I would love for you to get a therapist, <laughs> you know, to talk about what you, who you're going to be and what you're going to be, especially service members that went in so young. You know, if you went in at 18 and you're getting out at 40, you know, or older, like that is an, that is your identity. And where I see strife in the military civilian context, Jim Mattis observed this in his book as well, is that, you know, if you're not engaging and finding identities outside of your identity as a military service member, you will continue to hold yourself apart from civilians. And it will just continue to pull people apart. You have commonalities with non-military people. Everyone does. And like that, for me, I think that the service member transitioning, identifying that, processing that, figuring out who and what they want to be when they get out, that is something that they're, they're not being told. They're just getting them across the finish line and stamping and getting that DD-214 and sayonara and good luck to you. And that's it, right? That's why there was this whole space in the nonprofit community world over the last 15 years for this, because it was a gaping hole and it continues to be filled in, in a myriad of different ways. So there are a lot of resources there, but a lot of that work is internal work. A lot of it is internal. And yes, the financial, the employment, side of it, those brass tax things, that's great. But if you haven't untangled the internal work, it's it's for nothing because you'll take you're gonna take a job that's as close to your previous salary as possible and maybe it's a job that you absolutely loathe and then you hate it and then depression takes over. I mean like you can see how that can just snowball. So doing that internal mental process and internal family work I think is the single biggest thing that a family can do and a service member can do when facing transition. So I definitely, I'm a, Amy knows that I'm a planner. <laughs> so I have a, so I have a seven year old son and an 11 year old daughter. And I, I'm not going to lie to you. I have already started the process of college searches and how the post 9-11 GI bill is going to be used in my children's schooling. I think that that's common to a lot of um, service members who are getting out at the 20, 25 year mark, their children roughly, you know, are around, are, are coming up to college age. And so figuring out how that process works. So the interplay of the Nile, of the GI Bill with the Yellow Ribbon Fund, with the, with the, um, in different states, there's, um, gap funding, you know, that'll cover the difference at private schools between public, um, public tuition and the private tuition. And just understanding how all of that is going to work, because even though I sit here with four degrees uh, to my name, I have never used those kinds of benefits for a degree before. And I really, the the post 9-11 bill is, is a huge asset, a huge reason why my husband definitely wanted to do a full career um, to be able to transfer to our kids. Um, it's a huge asset to us. I want to be smart about it because, I, I mean, I... I sit here right now and I have $184,000 in student loans. And so I want my kids to be able to make as informed decisions as they can at 18 and 19 years old about their college experience or vocational experience and, and their careers and things like that. I want to build on the knowledge I already have um, 
through learning about the benefits that are available to my kids through the education benefits. Um, I'm happy to hear that a lot of these benefits apply both to colleges and universities, but also to vocational as well, which is a, a great thing I didn't know about until recently, and that 529s can be used that way. The only way I'm starting to learn about that is I'm literally getting online and immersing myself in that information, um, both the official information coming out from DOD, um, but also, you know, the things that people are talking about, how their experience was, you know, if they've had recent experience, here's how we did it. Here's Here's the person I worked with at the university to make sure I got everything stamped on time. So I just want to be ready, even though my daughter's only 11. <laughs> I just want to be ready. Um, and, and so I can help them kind of navigate that. Um, but of course, more information about health plans as you transition out. Um, those are not in, not in total flux, but the benefits and the, and the, um, premiums are changing. Um, there's a larger discussion about what veteran healthcare is going to look like um, in the next 10 years, and that will definitely be affecting my family and beyond. And so those are those are two big healthcare and education are two big things that I'm looking. I'm in the search for resources and educating myself and moving forward in this part of um, our lives, this season of our lives. I definitely was not looking at this, you know, 10 years ago when I was trying to just figure out military one source. Uh, it's definitely something I'm I'm looking for those kinds of resources now. You know, his military career now is I mean, it's not a hobby, but it's like a it's like his side gig. You know, it's like he can take it or leave it. He does it because he loves it. Um, but I think you know, considering I, I definitely agree with Kate in terms of like the future healthcare. You know, we have the GI Bill opportunity as well, which we've thought about a lot. Um, but I think, you know, the value of the retirement and like, so how far do you continue in the reserve career and what does that mean for you later? And then, you know, how does that impact your other job kind of growth and development? So, I mean, you can't be an aggressively active reservist and hold down an aggressively active regular job. I mean, you can, but I think there's limitations there. And I think, you know, we've experienced that, um, you know, frankly, even in the department that, you know, runs this whole business. So, um, I, you know, I think that that's, that those are things to think about. Um, you know, and getting back to some of the things that Kate was talking about earlier in terms of, you know, more of a, a long-term active duty person, um, and kind of figuring out who you are and where you want to end up. I think one thing that can be very challenging is um, just really moving into a corporate environment outside of government or the military. I mean, I think government is one step away from the military, but I also think there's a sort of like disconnect in terms of terminology or um, you know, skill set preferences, even from just general government to the private sector. And I don't know that people fully appreciate that. And I think it can be very hurtful in some ways that, um, you know, you just, you know, you, you think you have these great skills and you've commanded all these people. And then, you know, you are just, you know, not getting a job or, you know, you're not getting interviews and so kind of dealing with all of those kinds of things. 
um, I think is really can be very emotionally damaging if you're not prepared and you haven't educated yourself on how to translate your skill set into that different environment. Yeah, that's definitely like a whole nother, that's like a whole nother ball of wax is leaving that working environment and going yeah. to uh, a different civilian environment. I know that that has, I know that a lot of service members struggle with that. Um, yeah. Not just, and they struggle with it at the, at the job, at the getting the job phase, but they also then yeah. struggle with it. And when they acclimate, when they acclimate to the yeah. civilian working environment as well, um, yeah. you know, I definitely like definitely have seen it in action too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seen I'm like ooh, you know, and and um, you don't always know as the service member, like they don't always know when they've crossed a line mm-hmm. and uh, you know, or done something that's maybe not accepted in civilian employment cultures, and it, it can be a little bit of a rough. Uh, transition as well but that's like a whole nother ball of wax (laughs) yeah I feel like in some ways LinkedIn I mean I think there's some resources out there that are trying to help bridge that gap you know and and I think getting people prepared and on the job front I think that lengthy timeline of starting to get on LinkedIn starting to have coffee with various people and the more people you can reach out to, I think you start to have a better sense of how these other opportunities may work or what the corporate culture looks like. And so I think all, you know, from a preparatory standpoint, you know, being early in your kind of dipping your toe in the water of your next steps and meeting people and, you know, making those kinds of connections, I think it's really valuable because then you're not stressing at the tail end and you're not just grabbing something because you need a paycheck. Thank you and have a nice day. Thank you. Have a nice day.